This is where Atlanta soul at this particular point in time, hip hop rolls meets the Nashville sound. And hits everywhere in between. Ellen Fitz talking music. L. Talkin. And Fitz. We are back with the most creatively named podcast in all of the land. L. And Fitz talking music. It's Ellen Fitz talking music backed by nobody's demand, but our own Jason Fitz riding solo. L is still hanging out in Belize. Like she's still partying like an animal as, uh, as she should get to. She works her tail off, but. Uh, we've got a lot to get to that, that's important. And I want to start, uh, with a little bit, uh, we're going to go deep. Kyrie, is it okay if we like, we're going to go deep for a second here. Like I, I've had some time to really sit here and think about the halftime show of the Super Bowl. And I, I know everybody's rolling their eyes saying, why are we talking about it? But it, it plays into a deeper conversation. Uh, I've, I've had this epiphany, right? This is, this is my, my great awakening. And, uh, I, I want to see what you guys think of this because I've realized that there's a music problem. And that, that, that says a lot to me when I say there's a music problem. I'm not saying that lightly. I'm taking it seriously. I'm saying that there's a music problem in the music business right now, in the music industry. And it's part of, uh, like, I, I think we're all a little to blame for this problem. It's just sort of circumstance creates an issue. Action has consequence, right? And, and collateral damage, all of these phrases, all of these cliches. But it's real to what music is facing today. Now, again, as somebody that spent 20 years of my life in the music business, I overanalyze stuff, and I admit that. I admit that I overanalyze how we get our music. I overanalyze who consumes music. I, I, I've spent too many years uh, delivering singles and having a record label shove it back up your butt and say, we don't want to put that out. So you start to look at it and say, who's my audience? Where's my audience? Who does this feed? That's something that artists always ask themselves. Who does this feed? So it's either got to feed an audience or it's got to feed yourself creatively. If you're not doing one of the two, you're not putting it out. And and I start to look at it and so much conversation about Maroon 5, good, bad, ugly for, for halftime and what it means. And I realize that there's an entire music industry problem and it has to do with transcendent superstars. I think about this when I was a kid because I'm old. This is my 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 old white guy moment, 41 years old. Uh, when I was a kid, MTV and radio told me what to love. I'll never forget. I was sitting next to my brother and, and my brother's a few years older than I am. Uh, and, and listened to Depeche Mode and uh, Dead Kennedys. Like my, my brother was into a lot of different music cure. Like this is, you know, late eighties. He's into all this stuff, early nineties. He's, he's into all this stuff. And I remember sitting there. We, I, I came from very little. So we didn't, we couldn't afford cable. And there was this one moment where we'd moved and we got like free cable. So I'm that kid. I'm, I'm looking at MTV for the first time. I'm like, Oh my God, MTV, right? And Bon Jovi came up. Sit next to my brother, and if you've ever been a little brother, you know that you don't want to be that dork. And my brother's like, oh, this band sucks. So I was like, yeah, they suck. The Born to Be My Baby video started, and I'm bobbing my head, and I'm like, oh, my God. Inside, I'm thinking, oh, my God, they don't suck. Oh, my God, I like this. This, Oh, my God, this is awesome. That's where my Bon Jovi fandom started from. My first concert, Skid Row Bon Jovi. Uh, it, it changed my life. I remember watching uh, two things I remember. Kyrie, get the dump button ready here. You're going to have to beep this out. I remember two things about that concert. We're in Scarborough, Maine. See, uh, Skid Row opened. Sebastian Bach ran out on the stage and he said, Hello, Seattle, Washington, or wherever the f*** we are. 
Never forget that because I spent my entire touring life worried I was going to say the wrong city. The tour, they booed him off the stage. Like Skid Row got two songs in, booed off the stage. The second thing I remember is Richie Sambora came out on the first, uh, first song. I now know they're called Toasters. There's these things under the stage that pop you up. And I watched his, Richie Sambora from under the stage explode up, land on the stage, smoke and fire everywhere. And I said, Oh my God, that is so much cooler than playing the violin. Never really wanted to play Bach again after that. It was a life-changing moment for me. Richie Sambora is the reason I did what I did on tour. Every single night when I didn't feel like playing If I Die Young anymore, I always thought about my first concert. And I thought, man, there is some 11-year-old kid that is watching this show that is going to remember this night for the rest of their life. I want to do something tonight that is as touching for them as Richie Sambora was for me. All right? Music was was made by MTV and radio. MTV and radio told me, rightfully so, I was going to love Bon Jovi. It worked for me. It took me a long time after that to discover stuff off the radar. Like I had to go back and discover Stevie Wonder and Aretha Franklin and and a Motown hour that, that shaped me later as a musician. I had to go back and hunt that stuff down. Well, in today's world, MTV doesn't have that power. YouTube has the power. Labels have studied it. You you consume more music off of YouTube. The the average kid right now is consuming more music off of YouTube alone than all other streaming services combined. YouTube decide that like YouTube, it's it's like walking into a library and you say, Hey, guess what? I want to listen to a song today. What do I want? You walk into a library, you say, I want a book. Uh, all right. How do you know what book to pick? That's the world we're in now because YouTube is a library and you're just like, I want a song. Same thing happens on Spotify. Man, you, you, whatever your streaming service is, what do you do? Like you go out there and you listen to a little of something and at the bottom, it's like, oh, you might also like this act. If you're me, I'm, I'm consuming new music Friday every single week because it's important to me because I want to know where music trends are going. But through all of that, we now have so much individual decision on what we want that groupthink is harder than ever. Now, that's a good thing when it comes to discovering music because you can, as a musician, as an artist, you can be an artist. And you know what? It doesn't matter if radio doesn't like you. You can go out there, you can be an artist, and your fans somehow will find you. But it creates a music problem when you want a transcendent star. I just told you, YouTube uh, is the way the kids are consuming music, right? But country music, my background... Guess what? Radio still controls country music. A lot of you guys are laughing at this as you listen to a podcast and you're thinking that can't be real. It is real. My buddy Scotty McCreary just had the number one song on country music radio last week. Scotty and I are close friends. He toured with us for a long time. You know why that's meaningful? Because it changes the amount he can charge for his concerts for the next 18 months. Not to you, the consumer, but to the promoters. Radio is still that powerful. Scotty McCreary's life and his livelihood changed for the next 18 months. By getting a number one on radio. Not on streaming. How many songs are being streamed to Scotty McCreary's? Nobody cares. Gotta have a radio hit. In hip-hop, you ain't worried about radio. Rock? Where the hell does rock music even live on radio anymore? It doesn't. Each genre has to find their own home. They have to find their own way to be consumed. And guess what? If you're consuming country music on radio, you're not getting exposed to hip-hop on Spotify. If you're consuming your hip-hop on Spotify, you're probably not being exposed to rock music that's coming down from another streaming service, right? Spotify, I keep reaching out to you because I use you all the time. Feel free to sponsor the show. I'm just saying. Ellen Fitz talking music. It's presented by Spotify. It has a nice ring to it. My point is, 
we look at the halftime show and we want something fresh. We want something new. We're tired of retreads. I'm proud. I am damn proud of the fact that our network for the college football halftime show, the first time we ever did, did one. We did Kendrick Lamar. And I'm proud of that because it was contemporary. It was right now. It hit society on a year where Kendrick Lamar put out a record that touched society. I'm proud that I got to stand backstage before that and do a, a, a social broadcast from that moment because I still get goosebumps thinking about it. We were doing something awesome and transcendent on a record that touched people. I'm also not an idiot. I know that a lot of 55-year-old white guys were not sitting there saying, oh, yeah, I love that Kendrick Lamar stuff. It's great. I understand that. But that's a problem that plagues all of it now. Think about it. When we're, when we're looking at who, who touches every, every age, who's making music out there that your grandma loves and your niece loves? Who's making music out there that if you go into a club and it doesn't matter how old you are, how young you are, what color you are, where you came from, who's making music that touches all of it? If your answer is Bruno Mars, if your answer is Beyonce, if your answer is Justin Timberlake, we've seen all of those. We're tired of all of those. If your answer is Lady Gaga, Lady Gaga, if you're into Hangover, if your answer is Lady Gaga, where's the next one coming from? I was having a conversation earlier and saying, hey, maybe you know I could see an artist like J-Lo getting a Super Bowl halftime invite. I could see that happening. And J-Lo would be a great choice. I mean, my God, she has generations of hits in pop that is impossible to do. I, I gave a shout out not too long ago to the Backstreet Boys. Not because they put out a record. They've been doing that. But because they put out a record with the bonafide radio hit in pop. 20 years after they broke. That is hard to do, y'all. Like, that is respect. I, I genuinely respect their ability to come back. They've been doing it the whole time, selling out arenas. I get it. But to get radio to care about you again is difficult. But I ask you, like, how many acts now even have a shot at getting out of their bubble? We had Need to Breathe on this podcast a couple of months ago. Why? I love Need to Breathe. They're going to tour. They're going out. Uh, they're doing some acoustic shows. Sneak peek, by the way, I'm going to sit in with them, I think, when they, uh, when they come close here. Going to sit in and play a song with Need to Breathe. Why? Because I freaking love that band. But guess what? If I go to the grocery store and say, have you checked out the new Need to Breathe record? I am going to get crazy looks from a lot of people. Conversely, you know, Logic is another act I really like. But I was sitting down with some friends that, that aren't into that scene at all. I mentioned Logic. Blank stares. See, right now, and, and it, it's sort of like that symptom where people look at you afterwards. They'll say, oh, have you seen this movie? And you say no. Like, have you seen The Greatest Showman? I, I, it's on my mind. I just watched it for the first time yesterday. I'm two years late to the party. My God, it was spectacular. Okay. But the number of people that walk up and say, oh, you've seen The Greatest Showman, right? And I say no. And it's like this, uh, this look, like I just said, your grandma's ugly. It's like, oh, what? You haven't. That's where we are with music now. You're looking at it saying, oh my God, you haven't heard of? Put in whoever you want here. Guess what? There are a lot of old people that have no idea who Migos is. I'm sorry. It's just true. And you're shocked by that. But then there's a lot of old people that are shocked that some of you guys don't know Simon Garfunkel. You'll come back and say, you know what? Uh, grab a history book. Go back and listen to some old music. True story, by the way. I was, uh, I was deep into my, my 80s hair rock love. I was deep into it. But I was also a classical kid, and at the time, uh, I had a roommate uh, as, when I was uh, in school. I had a roommate that uh, was, at the time, one of the top jazz and classical trumpet players in the world. 
no exaggeration. He got uh, he was offered a chair in the Chicago Symphony when he was 17 years old. That is not something that happens to a trumpet player. And he loved playing CD jazz clubs in uh, in Chicago. That's what he did. And I came uh, came back to our place uh, while we were both in the thick of you know eight hours a day of practice. Came back one day and I went to go get my uh, my uh, these days Bon Jovi record, which is the best of the records they put out. Very dark. It's like, what do you do when you're not popular anymore? I go to listen to my angst-filled Bon Jovi. All of my CDs have been thrown out. And I don't mean like put in a box. I mean thrown out. He threw them all away. And there was one CD, Songs in the Key of Life, Stevie Wonder. And he said, I will throw out every piece of music you buy until you listen to this enough to understand that the beat's not on the one and the three. It's on the two and the four. And what that means is if you're going one, two, three, four, where do you snap? Super white guys like me, classical music players, we snap on one and three. One, two, three, four, one. Guys with soul, one, two, three, four. All right. He was making a point about like how you feel music. I hated him for like a month, but it opened my eyes. Opened my eyes to all sorts of stuff I never knew I was going to like. And it it got me into an entire genre. And like I said earlier, like Motown at this point, you know, Motown and oldies. Like it's amazing how much I love, like I love doo-wop. I love Motown. That's what I listen to. And in fact, uh, one of our buddies, Trevor Scales, that works here and uh, uh, works a lot with Elle and I both, he got into my car not too long ago and I had Sinatra on. He was offended. Uh, I, I get it. Like I have weird musical taste. But I, I, I forced, that was forced on me. In today's world, who's forcing you out of your bubble? Nobody. In today's world, who's force feeding you anything? Nobody. Now, again, you get recommendations, but it's not like, oh, if you listen to this, Open your ears and try this. No, it's like, oh, well, you already like this shade of blue, so we'll give you a slightly different shade of blue. We spin into this, and then we look around and we try and ask ourselves why music feels boring. Well, music isn't boring. The Grammys. People were blowing me up like, oh, my God, a coming out party for Casey Musgraves. Nashville is saying, sweet baby Jesus, really? You're just now seeing Casey Musgraves? But conversely, I I had friends that were looking at me saying, oh, I really liked H-E-R. Yeah, her. There we go. I mean, it's like a joke at this point, but we're all stuck in our own cycle. And as long as we're stuck in our own cycle, I don't know how you become a transcendent star. I genuinely don't know how we'll find not just the next J-Lo, but the next Bruno Mars. I don't know how we're going to find the next person that doesn't matter if you're old or you're young. If you're black or you're white, it doesn't matter where you came from. It doesn't matter if you got money or you don't. Somebody who makes music that touches every genre, every background, I don't know where that exists. And unfortunately, until we figure that answer out, it's great for creativity. All right. It's great for being able to follow artists and let artists be artists. But if you want a pop and halftime show, man, sit back and realize that what you're going to get is the same thing over and over. It's Ellen Fitz talking music. Thanks for letting me go off. Challenge yourself. Go out to Spotify, find something, ask somebody, ask somebody that doesn't look like you, that didn't come from your background for one recommendation today, and then go absorb it, even if you hate it. You might find in the end, you're a better music fan for it. All right, you guys are tired of listening to just me talk about this, so we're going to get a little bit of expertise here. One of the things we love to do on Ellen Fitz Talking Music is bring on some guests that can add a little perspective. And that's our way of telling you about stuff you might not have on your radar yet or stuff that you uh, want an introduction to. And there's no better, no better way to do that than by uh, talking right now to uh, somebody that I think is really going to interest you. Hey, y'all, this is Jess Lee, and you're listening to Ellen Fitz talking music. 
So you guys are tired of hearing me talk about uh, all of my, I'm waxing all philosophical on this. So uh, I'm going to bring in uh, a little help on this. So Amir Wyndham joins us. Uh, and, and if you're not familiar with Amir's work, you should be. Uh, he's been all around the entertainment industry as a whole, uh, done a ton of work with record labels. And obviously uh, there's a movie we're going to talk about in a second. But I want to get your thoughts on something, Amir. I've been sort of going off this morning on the music industry as a whole in one sense. Uh, it feels like right now it is harder than ever because of the way we consume our art, whether it's from Spotify or YouTube or wherever. We're so fractured in how we consume. I'm having a hard time seeing how an artist transcends all of the different bubbles and becomes a cross-cultural megastar at this point. How are the new J-Lo's and Bruno Mars created? How are the next level of artists that hit you, whether you're old or you're young, you're black, you're white? How does that happen in the new landscape of the music industry in your mind? Man, you know that this 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 is the gift and the curse of 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 what you're what you're stating. So we're in an industry now where it's easier for artists to be seen and heard. It's easier for artists to be honest who to me may not even have the talent qualifications to get a record deal, to get you know, just get get a platform. And it's to me because consumers at, you know, the consumers, their, their demand of what talent is has absolutely diminished, in my opinion. I mean, it's so widespread, should I say. So how does how, how do you kind of create a global superstar? I think that's the million-dollar question, and that's where artist development and literally having an artist that has a God-given talent now is more, more important than anything because, again, there's so many artists that are taking up, you know, the space is absolutely a lot harder for, you know, an artist to be seen and heard on a global scale where they're respected, you know, regardless of your genre, demographic, um, regardless of your, your, your race and what you appeal to. So I think that's what makes it interesting now that you really have people, I mean, you have to really have guys and talent, in my opinion, to be a global superstar. I'm not talking about, you know, a global just somebody who can travel the world and sell out, you know, 5,000 seat arenas over in, in London. But I'm talking about somebody who can literally go over there to the U2 arena and, and literally sell that out alone. Like that's a global superstar. So as far as how they, they make that happen, like I think it's through their guy getting talent well, ability to play instruments, sing, dance, do all the different forms of art. In that sense, you know, because part of this came to my mind because, we, you know, everybody's still talking about the halftime show of the Super Bowl and, you know, why Maroon 5? And I, I keep looking at it and saying, man, it feels like there's retreads with the Beyonce's and the Brunos and, uh, you know, Justin Timberlake. I, and, and they're all super talented artists. But if you're going to be the next Beyonce, you know, I, it, it just feels like it's harder than ever. It would take it would take every single genre buying in. And, and I'm not sure you can be down the middle enough to make that happen. Now, you work a lot for TV and film music, uh, and I think that that is one way. You know, if you're if you're a hip-hop artist or you're a country artist, doesn't matter. Uh, placement can be a great way to get your stuff seen. So when you're looking at, at placement specifically in TV and film, how do you sort of challenge yourself to be as sort of widespread in that process as possible? I think, you know, music supervision has become kind of the unique platform that I believe consumers are starting to respect it as it's actually making them consume the music and actually buying it, you know, doing direct transactions where they're actually going on iTunes and buying it from there instead of just necessarily streaming it. Um, I think that's because music supervision is absolutely 
the it hasn't become oversaturated. You know, streaming has become oversaturated. Everybody can can put their music up on Spotify and the, and the likes. Same thing with you know. I think people from a radio standpoint, they, they don't even you know they're, they're not really looking at radio as the primarily credible uh, force to just determine what's hot and what's not. And so, if you have all these means that people are are have access to, then it becomes oversaturated. But one thing you can't do is just you know you can't just go somewhere and say, hey, can you put the song in a movie or put the song in a TV show? And I think that is becoming kind of the our new gatekeeper. You know, it used to be the gatekeeper was that you had to be able to sing, dance, you know, uh, play an instrument all at the same time to get in, into the in, into a record label. But, you know, we, we see that that's changed quite a bit now. But now, as it relates to music supervision, it's kind of like that's become where the creme de la creme gets to, you know, debut their newest single or just have music that that uh, you know is, is high quality because it made it into this movie that's going to make... $400 million. And I think that's where music supervision currently is winning because again, you can't buy your way into that. You can't, you know, you can't have a meeting and just say, Hey, I, I really would like for you to put this in there. Like you literally have to get chosen to do it just the same as you had to get chosen with a record label, you know, 20 years ago. And it was a big deal. Like I got signed to Def Jam and it was like, Oh my God, like you're, you're great. That means that you're great because Def Jam just doesn't sign anybody. But again, we know that the landscape has changed in the record industry, and I don't think people respect you giving a record deal as much anymore. But it's kind of becoming your film being in Black Panther. I mean, your song being in Black Panther is like the new, like excitement related, like to a record deal. Like, man, you, your song was in Black Panther, the movie that did a billion. Like, wow, you really must, you know, you you're out here killing the game. Amir, you're bringing back sad memories for me. The number of times I partied in my life because I got a record deal in the late 90s only to then right. have to party. Yeah, okay. Like, I started partying yeah. when I lost my record deals, too. Then I was like, all right, I got dropped. <laughs> so here we go. I got dropped by RCA. Let's go drink. I, I don't know oh, any other man. solution to it. Um, so, uh, you know, with all of that uh, sort of in mind, one of the things I want to empower, I want to, I, I know we can't solve these things, but I want to try and empower people today, right now, in this moment, to find something they've never heard before if you were going to tell somebody give somebody a message on how to find something they've never heard before i mean the analogy i used earlier is like you're walking into a library you're looking around and you're saying i want a book that's what the music business is right now like you're just walking into spotify and saying well i want a song like how the hell are you going to find anything when you don't know what's out there so if you were going to empower somebody right now one way to find something interesting is there a go-to way that you do that I mean, you know, I'm old school, man. I, I keep my ear to the streets. You know, I don't, I, I don't even have to be honest. I, I, I have uh, some of the streaming services, but I haven't like clicked on them in probably a year. I know that sounds crazy, but I don't want to oversaturate myself with so much music that I can't necessarily spot organic, raw, guy-given talent when, when I hear it. So, point is, I don't oversaturate myself with music. Um, to me, to find the, the, who's great and, and who's talented is you got to have your you got to have your your connections to those to those cities. And when I say those connections, I mean even if that's the local DJs, the club promoters, the you know the radio personalities. Like the same way that A and R's traditionally knew who was hot around the country, you had credible people in those markets. And so while other people are, are going to the internet and saying, you know what, I'm just going to be a YouTube A and R and I'm just going to be a Spotify A and R and I'm like, you know what? I'm I'm just gonna still be an old school A and R that travels to places. I, I pop my head into, you know, boom boom rooms throughout throughout the country and just go to random 
places uh, to see who who's who's putting out their gifts. And, and to be honest, that has led me to some phenomenal artists. And I think it's also because I haven't over I don't oversaturate myself with music every day. Like for instance, today I haven't I haven't listened to any music yesterday. And I won't listen to any music today probably just because I need to give myself a, a, a creative musical break. So that again, my ears can be refreshed, and and my my determination of what talent won't become based on the oversaturation of what the popular mainstream um, platforms are saying is talented. You know, it, it's so funny. That's it. You it, just stay old school. It, it's funny that you say that because when I was touring, I never listened to music. I thought my my ears always needed a break, and the number of times I would come home and yeah. listen to sports talk because I'm like, man. I just need a break, which is what ultimately helped me get to sports. And now when I'm home, I'm like, I don't want to listen to any more sports takes now. Just give me exactly. something, uh, music to consume, which is funny. But you, you know, your advice is sage. Like I say this a lot, uh, when I talk to, to people about sports in general, it's like, Hey, if you want to get great information, find people you trust and follow those people. Maybe this is the same advice, exactly. like find people you trust musically. Now, uh, in addition to your music work, you are a film producer and you've got a new film, uh, Canal Street that's coming out. Uh, tell everybody a little a bit about it and uh, sort of like okay so you're a music guy that's making a movie what are you what are you doing man i know man i'm, I'm all over the place and that's why i don't have no damn hair now or a hairline <laughs> trying to do all these entertainment ventures you know with a bald head and i used to have curly hair back in the day man i used to have it back in the day but entertainment's killed that but yes i, I produced my i produced my first and as you i said I, i've been a music supervisor for a while now but um I, I've executive produced this movie, Canal Street, that's in theaters. Now, this movie, if you are listening and you are black, white, Asian, Latino, I don't care if you're 95, I don't care if you're five, if you believe in faith, unity, and love, this, is, this movie is for you. This movie is not a social injustice movie. This movie isn't about, you know, uh, black, the, the wrongdoing by African Americans, or, or it's not about any of that. It is literally saying that, you know what? If we open our minds to different perspectives and we also are led by faith and love, we probably can understand each other a lot better. And some of these things that we necessarily think are racism may be more so just ignorance because people don't open their minds to different perspectives. So our movie Canal Street uh, is about a, a an African-American male played by um, Bryce Sheard Gray, who's also known as uh, Hakeem Lyons from Empire. And he is uh, he is on trial, accused of the murder of his white classmate. So while this movie looks like social justice, it's absolutely about faith, unity, and love. Because as you know, if the trial like that, they're gonna be, people are gonna choose sides. You know, people the the black people are probably gonna side with the black guy and say this, and the white people are gonna side with the white people. But our movie is telling you to meet in the middle and let's have conversation about why we need to understand each other better and how. You know, through through the, the lens of of love and faith, we may be able to come to some better understandings that will not uh, presume guilt and that will not presume race racism. And our film Canal Street absolutely does that, and I think it's definitely a I call it a entertaining spiritual retreat. You know, um, it's, you're gonna go on. It, it's interesting that you say that. I was having a conversation this morning, uh, and for anyone listening to this podcast, I was on Golik and Wingo. Uh, hosting with ESPN Radio with uh, my buddies Michael Lick and Michael Lick Jr. have been sitting in for Trey for the last couple of weeks, and 
we were having a, a conversation even off air about how the world has gotten to a point now where everybody's made up their mind on everything they believe. And maybe that's part of what even had me thinking about this with the music stuff coming in today is that we live in a world where everybody's decided that what we, what we think is, is just what the way it is. And sometimes it takes opening your eyes and opening your mind just to be exposed to something that even if, even if it's not in line with what you thought, it's going to make you think, it's going to make you feel. And ultimately that's what great art is supposed to do. Like, I guess I'm, I'm sitting here thinking that right. the entire world, like there just has to come a point where we all stop thinking about what we think we know and just start consuming art, entertainment, music, sports, whatever it is with the mindset of like, what can I get out of this? How can it make me better? And, and that's, that's a challenge because yeah. it, it's funny to me, just to be honest, like you're really having to couch the fact that this isn't a social justice movie because we now live right. in a world where you, people yeah. see, they see black, they see white and they immediately think social justice. Like so, where yeah. is the love? Right. And I mean, again, bro, we, we, that movie's been made a million times, right? You know, and, and, and we said to ourselves, we got to make something that is going to make people talk, you know, that's going to make people have conversations. Cause I, I honestly, I, I've, I travel the world and, you know, I, I work in a, in a lot of different environments where there, there, there are predominantly white environments or they're predominantly black or predominantly, I, I'm, I'm in a lot of different environments. And, you know, I have conversations with people because like when I'm sitting on the plane, especially that's when I have my most impactful conversations. And, and I'll, I'll tell you about one that I have with Chris Myers, who's a, 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 a Fox analyst, um, for Fox sports. Mm-hmm. Um, Chris Myers and I were randomly on a flight together from Los Angeles to, to Seattle this summer. Um, yeah, and he was headed to cover uh, cover the game there. And uh, he and I, you know, we just started talking. Before you know, we were talking about, you know, race. And Chris, he, he gave me a, different, a very interesting perspective because he said, you know, I work in sports. Sports, whether I'm covering NASCAR, whether I'm covering the NFL, whether I'm covering basketball, I'm around all kinds of cultures, right? And he said one thing that, that in, in being around sports is, you know, it makes you understand people. So when he hears people, you know, say that all black people are criminals or he hears people say that all white people are racist against black people, he said, you know, I have a very different perspective because I've actually opened my mouth and I've talked to various people and had meaningful conversation with them so I can get out of my comfort zone, get out of my community because if, you've, if you're white and, and all you've hung around your whole life is white people, you've never really had any meaningful conversations about African-Americans to understand why, you know, they, they, why we, we, we protest blackface or why you would never know unless you literally went, to, to, went on a website. Like, and, and honestly, do, do, do white people go read Essence magazine and, you know, all these, <laughs> these traditionally African? No. Right. So they, they don't know. So some of this to me isn't necessarily racism. Some of it is just truly ignorant. And so what I think the solution is, is as an African-American, I don't need to just always hang around black people. And that's it. I need to sometimes transcend cultures and transcend races and, and open my mouth and make sure I'm talking to people that don't look like me so that, you know what, if they don't have a full understanding of African-Americans, maybe I can start to give them somewhat of an understanding so that they can be open to having more conversations with, with, with black people while they sit next to them on the plane or vice versa and have conversations so that not just, oh, yeah, those, those uh, Atlanta Braves, they sure are great. It's like talking about today's current news and talking about it in a way which is, is look, I'm open to understanding how you perceive this. And, I, and I've done that and I do that all the time. And I'm telling you, it has led to some beautiful conversations where I am now 
great friends with people who, who before really thought that African-Americans were all just criminals. Because think about it, on their local news, that's all they saw. Again, they're not going to Essence Magazine and reading the, the positive comments or things that African-Americans have done. And the same thing with, with white people. The only time I'm read, looking on Instagram and all I'm seeing is, is uh, uh, Liam Nielsen says he wanted to kill a black man. Oh, they're all racist. That's all. I'm, that's the only you know involvement I'm having with with with, with white people. And of course, that's going to be my perspective. So the point is, this movie is telling you to open your open your closed-minded minds and let's have these conversations so that we can really make some strides as it relates to this whole thing about racism and race. Because it, it, I mean, it clearly we need to have some conversations. Gucci and all these other companies, you know, with this blackface stuff, somebody needs to be talked to and somebody needs some understanding if they don't understand why that's wrong. You know, do I think that they sat down and said, you know what, how can we offend African-Americans? How can we be racist? I don't necessarily believe that. I just think they didn't have anybody at the table to tell them, here's why this is inappropriate or why this might not be received well. Well, and, and I'll go back to, you know, you said earlier, uh, you know, such ignorance and, and life experience is difficult to get until you get it. And it, you know, it crosses into everything. I, I will say quickly, I toured years ago with a, a tour. One of the guys that did our merch on the tour I was on uh, was a Louisiana guy and he'd never left Louisiana. And we, when he got on the road with us, he's like, I don't care what you guys say. Louisiana is the best place on earth. And I asked him one day, I was like, hey, have you ever been to Manhattan? I'm just curious. Like, I'm not being that guy, but have you ever been to Manhattan? He's like, no, but I don't need to. I know that Louisiana is the best place on earth. And then the first time we went to Manhattan on tour, he looked around and was like, I've never seen anything like that. He now lives in Manhattan. So sometimes you just got to get out of your bubble and get experience, and, and that, that requires conversation. You're creating that conversation with this movie. Guys, Go. you can go to the website, canalstreetmovie.com, check your local listings, find it, watch it, absorb it. That's been the message of today's podcast. Like Absorb art, even if it's art that you're not usually in the mindset of, and grow yourself. That That is like, we all got to be glowing and growing. There's a way to do that. Amir, we will forgive you for hanging out with Fox Sports people by the way uh we'll we'll, we'll fix that I was next on the plane I couldn't help it yeah, well help it. next time you're up near Connecticut you want to hang out on campus hit us up we'll we'll indoctrinate you to the worldwide leader in sports uh but uh, we we appreciate you man and uh, a great job on the, a great job doing this and your career is amazing because you've been creating art the whole way so thank you for doing that thanks for hanging out with us man we appreciate it man, thank you thank you for having us and like you said absorb art I love that all right, that's it for Ellen Fitz talking music for right now. Uh, we got a bunch coming up, obviously, we always do, but uh, be sure to let us know. Uh, and, and uh, you know, I've learned this from Stu Gatz, the legendary Stu Gatz. Uh, uh, what you need to do right now, take a second, subscribe to the podcast, rate, and review it. And when you're done with that, this is the Levitar trick, okay? You subscribe, you rate, review. When you're done with that, unsubscribe and resubscribe and do it again. That's what we're asking you to do. I know that sounds crazy. Subscribe, rate, and review. Then unsubscribe, resubscribe, rate, and review. If you'll give us that three minutes, we can keep giving you all the time in the world talking about this. It's really important. It helps drive numbers. It helps drive eyes. It helps drive visibility. And that's something we're really passionate about. So tell your friends, tell your family, tell your enemies, tell everybody to subscribe, rate, and review, subscribe, rate, and review. All right, you get the message. Thanks so much for hanging out. Uh, We appreciate you. Elle will be back with me next time, and we'll get you more of our thoughts on Ellen Fitz talking music.